And now I have to pee. <laughs> Do you really? So you want to take another break? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'll 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 hold it or run out. He'll hold it his way. His way. I should hope so, because I'm not holding it. I'm Captain Benjamin Sisko. Welcome to Deep Space Nine. Red alert. All crew members report to battle stations. Red alert. Shields up. What shields? You're sparkling officers. Now start acting like it. Oh, it's just Garrick. Plain, simple, Garrick. Dax, we might have just discovered the first stable wormhole known to exist. The wormhole does bring them our way, doesn't it? Everyone wants a piece of the new frontier. This will shortly become a leading center of commerce and of scientific exploration. And for Starfleet, one of our most important posts. Quite a motley crew you've assembled here, Benji. Listen to the Prophets, a Deep Space Nine podcast. And here are your hosts, Andrew Leyland, Paul Spataro, and Dr. Bill Robinson. Bloody hell. And now, ladies and gentlemen, Listens to the Prophets proudly presents, direct from the bar, Paul Spataro, our chairman of the board. Hey, you crazy cats. My pally Andy Lanlin from the other side of the ocean. Wacka, wacka, wacka. (laughs) And Dr. Bill. That's right, baby. Dr. Bill in the house. Slide, glide. Slalom. And I am David Pascarella. And we're all sat on those high stools with our tuxedos on, clicking our fingers, a whiskey in one hand, a cigarette dangling from our lips. Oh, yeah. It's a cool night here in the San Francisco Bay, and we're going to play some real smooth jazz. So this is like the uh. profit pack. Yes, I like that. <laughs> How long have we been on? Since 1946. Oh. <laughs> Well, the, ori- the original Rat Pack also had Humphrey Bogart in it, so to me it was much cooler before, before people knew how cool they were. They were they actually became less cool by then. Anyway, that's not what this is about, kind of. Are you speaking you know, bad about Joey way, Bishop? In a way, no, I'm speaking positive about Humphrey Bogart. Oh. Or as we used to say, Humphrey Pushcart. Bogey. <laughs> Shall we? I guess Baby will just have a have to have a ham sandwich. Mm. Bugs Bunny right. was terrified of Bogey. Really? You don't remember that episode? You give me fever. Can you help? Uh, well, no, not, yes. not, not that yes. one. No, I'm talking about when he's he's ordering. He wants to order rabbit, and he sends he sends. Actually, El, it was Elmer that was afraid of him because Elmer goes to try and get Bugs, and he can't. And then finally, he has to he has to uh, apologize, and that's when Humphrey says, "Oh well, then, baby, you'll just have to have a ham sandwich." <laughs> You remember that episode, don't you? Oh, and then doesn't uh, Bugs jump into Baby's arm? <laughs> Bugs goes, Baby! <laughs> and he, like, dives into the platter. <laughs> and he's, like, staring in, into her eyes. Betty Bacall. It really has nothing to do with this episode, but it's just, you know, anytime I can segue into Looney Tunes, I'm there. If you record it, they will come. So, what are we Coming doing? soon, listen to the Looney Tunes. Oh, sorry. Well, today's episode is called... His way. Odo's lovesick and looking for a cure. We gotta thaw you out a little bit. But can a swinging lounge lizard cool turn him into a ladies' man? On the next Star Trek Deep Space Nine. It's uh, directed by Alan Croker, 
written by Ira Stephen Bear and Hans Heimler. Hans? Hans. 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 I'm Hans. Yeah. You're a writer. I write, yeah. I write the episode, yeah. Yeah, I write with Ira. Yeah. <laughs> that is so bad. <laughs> Featured music by Jay Chadaway, but I would think it should be Frank Sinatra. Did you go to high school with things. him too, Bill? Nine. And this episode, we have one of my favorite guest stars, Jimmy Darren. Yay! The plot goes, the crew enjoys a new Holosuite program of Dr. Bashir's, featuring a 1960s Las Vegas lounge singer named Vic Fontaine, who has been programmed with Satan's. Sentience. An awareness, satience. Sentience. Somebody say Satan? <laughs> I, thought, I thought you said he's been programmed with Satan. That would have made the episode more interesting. <laughs> oh, hail Victor Fontaine, our new overlord. I, I don't for one. I don't work well at this hour of the morning. <laughs> An awareness that he is a hologram. Bashir introduces the crew to Vic, who displays keen insights into the crew's relationships. He begins to comment on the nature of the relationship between Odo and Kira Narice but stops himself before revealing his thoughts. While Kira travels to Bajor to meet with her ex-lover, Shakar, Odo visits Vic to inquire further. Vic observes that Odo clearly is in love with Kira, but is afraid to pursue her. Whereas Kira likes him, but considers him only a friend, Odo blames Kira's involvement with Shakar, but Vic counters that Odo's biggest obstacle is his reserved, aloof personality, and suggests he needs to have some fun. Bless you. Excuse me. God bless. He has Odo perform on a piano during a show, then arranges a double date with a pair of holographic women. Odo finds himself more relaxed, even singing some of Vic's tunes to himself absentmindedly while in Cisco's office. Vic then arranges an encounter with a holographic singer made to look like Kira. But Odo is dissatisfied at her lack of Kira's personality and knowing that he is only comfortable with her because he knows she is a hologram and he becomes frustrated and leaves. Vic, determined to take matters into his own hands, transfers himself to a hollow suite where Kira is meditating after her return to the station. He invites her to dinner, supposedly on Odo's behalf, and convinces her to accept. Vic then contacts Odo via the station's comm system and persuades him to come to the Hollow Suite to see a new and improved Kira program. Odo and Kira share a romantic dinner and dance at Vic's club. But when Odo reveals he believes she is a hologram and Vic informs him otherwise, Odo leaves angered and embarrassed. The next day, Odo attempts to avoid Kira in the promenade. But the Major, after telling Dak she has just experienced a moment of perfect clarity, confronts Odo. She insists they need to discuss what happened over dinner. Anywhere but a hollow Odo asks about whether Shakar would object to that, believing she is still seeing him. Kira tells him that her trip was strictly business regarding the Dominion War, and that she isn't romantically involved with anyone. Odo sarcastically asks if she would also like to dance afterward. And a kiss to which Kira replies, heatedly replies that she might. Odo then declares, well, then who needs dinner? Why don't I just get it over with and kiss you now? 
Kira replies, well, why don't you? And Kira and Odo grabs her and kisses her passionately in front of the crowd on the promenade. Later, Odo stops by the holodeck to thank Vic for his help. Then Human Resources pays Odo a visit and files charges against him. (laughs) I mean, it really did get to the point of, why don't we just go to your your, uh, cabin right now and I'll take you. (laughs) I like this episode, but what do you guys think? I'm beyond like it. I like it a lot. I think this was such a change of pace from that last episode as far as the intensity goes and, and... you know, we went from incredibly intense to incredibly lighthearted, but we're finally resolving this, you know, this uh, moonlighting uh, relationship between Kira and Odo, the will they, won't they thing going on, the unrequited love of Odo, and we're doing it in a different and fun way. Uh, the character of Vic is just extremely entertaining, and I love it. He adds so much to this episode. It's, it's. I mean, it really is his episode. Uh, so I'm glad they titled it as such. Uh, I, I just found this to be really, really entertaining. Yeah, uh, I shouldn't like this one because it's undoubtedly filler, but it is just so charming. James Darren's brilliant. Nada Visitor and René Aubergenois are brilliant. And it, it really holds together as a solid, entertaining 46 minutes of Star Trek, despite not being what you really think Star Trek is. It's a great musical. All that Rat Patch shtick is really well done. And Nana Visitor is sexy as fuck when she does Fever. <laughs> Sorry for any women that are listening for that blatant piece of sexism, but come on, she is. Well, you know, political correctness aside, is it wrong to find somebody attractive? No. Is, has that gotten to the point where that's wrong now? You can't be attracted to people? It doesn't necessarily mean you're objectifying them. No, because she's not objectified in that scene. She had an awful lot to do with the choreographer. She chose the song. She's legitimately singing it. I mean, she's miming on the show, obviously, because that's how television works. But that's her singing the song. And she's every bit as hot as Michelle Pfeiffer in The Fabulous Baker Boys. Let's take it to another question. Is it wrong to want to be seen as sexy? Or are you allowing yourself to be objectified? No, I don't think you're allowing yourself to be objectified. I don't think she thinks that she was objectified. Yeah, I I mean, I agree. I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting to be physically attractive or want to be, you know, present yourself as sexy. It's wrong if that's your only goal in life, I guess. You know, the, you should have bigger goals than that. But there, I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting to be attractive and having that, uh, you know, having a satisfaction to people thinking that you are. Uh, mm. So I, I, you know, I, but I, I think in the current day and age, it's almost like, well, you can't do that. That's, well, you know, that that's that's you know using her as an object, and I don't think she is. I, I don't think she ever lowers herself at any point uh, in wanting to be attractive. Or, and I'm not. I don't even know what her motivations are, but in presenting herself as attractive, I don't think she ever lowers herself in any way. But I'm just afraid, like I said, in the current day and age, that somehow just the thought of of presenting yourself that way is is doing something wrong. No, and well, she actually—they actually have a line in the episode, don't they? This is a classy joint: women in dresses, men in tuxedos. And it's—it's it's not like you, there are certain episodes of the original that you could probably look at now 
and go, that's a little bit sexist, particularly like Mud's Women. Mud's Women is a sexist episode. Oh, man, Mud's Women this... is, is, is human training, right? Isn't it? A... Yeah, he's, yeah, he's trading in prostitutes. That's what he's doing in that episode. This isn't This isn't that at all. And it's, it's probably one of the reasons that Odo quite fancies her, that she's got that side to her personality, as well as being the rough, tough... Um, freedom fighter that we also know her to be. She's, I think she's, she doesn't, I don't know if this is true or not. You guys could probably correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think she gets enough credit for being this, this wonderful character that she is. We've got lots of people who come on now who have grown up saying Captain Jane wears the man, the woman, the boss. And they've grown up with that captain in that position. That's great. No problem with that. And you've always got what's the issues of like, well, Buffy did all of this and Alias did all of this and Xena did all of this. No one ever mentions Kira. No, I agree with you. I think she broke a lot of barriers that no yeah. one speaks of. Yeah. And I think she's every bit as good um, as a strong representation of a female character who's treated exactly the same way as the male characters on the show. In fact, better. I think in many ways, Kira is a much more well-rounded character than even somebody like, say, Dr. Bashir or Chief O'Brien, uh, as does those characters that I just mentioned. And it's, it seems to me that she, she doesn't get the love and attention that deserves. She, from the beginning of the show, she's been my favourite character, and she still is. And I now have a little doll of her, thanks to Bill. Thanks, Bill. You're welcome. So you're objectifying her. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's a, yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, what I mean, what I'm doing is I'm responding to criticism we haven't even actually received, <laughs> or haven't I haven't really heard. I'm just, you know, I'm a little sensitive to some criticism that I, you know, that I see in social media sometimes as I think not being thought out and, and put into context. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of addressing. Something that I think would bother me if I did see it, but I haven't, if that sounds fair. Um, I just think this, I think, you know, Odo is is presented as exceptionally vulnerable. Mm. Uh, and, and he lets his guard down in the hollow suite. Now, I think that may be oversimplifying a little bit, that, that Vic is able to fool the two of them in an almost sitcom kind of way. But, it you know, it works. I like the fact that, that Vic you know, knows he's a hologram, that he's sentient about it, and and it comes up with that other girl when she what what do you, what do you mean? And he's just, oh, just shut up. <laughs> you know, I I just you know it, it's lighthearted. Like I said, after an incredibly tense episode, and I think this time they hit it right. Sometimes that change in pace has been a bump in the road. Uh, this time out, I think it it you know it really just kind of plays well and it it resolves an issue that you know that isn't really critical to the overall world building but it is an issue with the characters that we've seen you know Odo's love of her and and, you know he's been with the exception of that one episode where he did uh, have some you know a sexual relationship with that one woman with the exception of that he's he's been you know the high school student you know with unrequited love the whole series and it's nice to see him finally get past that and maybe mm. be in you know what what will now be a mature relationship, which will not necessarily negatively affect the show. You know, I, I mentioned the the moonlighting aspect of it. You know, and that clearly uh, was the point. You know, where that show jumped the shark when they finally did consummate their relationship. Uh, in this show, they aren't because it's more of an ensemble and they're not just the stars of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, their relationship isn't critical to the success of the show. 
in, in that way. So it, it's not going to you know provide any kind of a, a negative effect on the overall uh, perception. Uh, so you know there was no reason not to get them together at this point. Plus we're close enough to the end game that you know that they don't have to worry about creating conflict there. Mm. It's also watching it now as as an adult that it's it's quite impressive how they did an adult romance on Star Trek. Star Trek's not really very good at that. No, and Star, if they, Star Trek if they has do more do of it. the uh, what's his name? Who was Picard's vacuous lover? Uh, Which one? Vash. Vash. Oh, Vash. Oh, yeah, it. and, and Kirk's so many dalliances. But so is that many. But Kirk's, oh. Kirk's yeah, dalliances, though, like as silly as they are, they always seem to be with somebody he did have chemistry with, and it was kind of okay. Yeah. And a lot of times, it's people he knew from the past anyway. It's Yeah, and then you know, something horrible happens to them when they die. Yeah, or both. Yeah. <laughs> In the case of um, Miramani, she gets stoned to death and then dies. Oh, Edith and she's also Kirok. pregnant. Edith Keeler, Miramani, yeah. uh, who else? There's the two men, there's yeah. Ruth. And ah, Ruth the, was a fling. The one from Shore Leave. Well, that's Ruth. Is that Ruth? Who's the one yes. from The Deadly Years? That's uh, no, that's Ensign Rand, isn't she? No, Yeoman, Yeoman Randy never actually had no. anything with. Who's the no, one? That, who's the one that he, from Court Martial? Yeah, there's the one from Court Martial. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The Deadly Years was another one, but but yeah. but yeah. But those were just flings. Yeah. And then uh, you know, Carol Marcus, that didn't work out. Dagger of the Mind's Eye, the uh, girl from the uh, <laughs> oh, the Christmas party. party. Yeah, that was definitely a fling. Well, who can blame him when she looks like Gina Davis? But so they actually do um, a genuine adult mature romance in this one, and they pull it off largely because of the actors. And it's interesting to to look at the both actors were not fond of this development, so it goes to two. really yeah they, they both didn't like this. Both of them supremely professional pulled it off. But Nana Visitor actually in the documentary that we've watched, she's she was oh, yeah, not a fan of this yeah. development. And Iris Stephen Burr actually says to her, Well, it's your fault. You were the ones giving us those looks on camera that we looked at and then went, There's something there. So we didn't invent this, we based it on your acting with Rene Aubergenois between the two of you, those looks and smiles and the hanging outs that you do. We just reacted to that. And she kind of, she actually says she backed down after that because she was like, well, all right then. (laughs) (laughs) She picks her fights and she didn't win that one, which is fair enough. Yeah, and I I like that we got that in the documentary too because we've said a few times speculating as we went along, you know, was this something they had planned or is it, you know, something that just kind of came along as they, you know, felt that it just kind of fit. So now we know that it is the second of those two. Mm -hmm. And I also, some of the dialogue in this is wonderful. Odo's um, fish out of water stuff with Vic Fontaine is really good. I really enjoy all of that. There's the brilliant scene with Quark. You're not the most lovable man on the station. (laughs) (laughs) All of this room. (laughs) is brilliantly done. That's all excellent. In fact, it's quite disheartening to, to look up on stuff like Jammer's reviews and things that this episode is is 50-50 down the middle. People either love this one or they hate this one. Mm. And I, I really enjoyed it. I really thought it was a big, fun, lightweight romp after we've had a number of, of heavy episodes this year. Mm-hmm. And well, people, and don't stop, people don't stop living their lives in war. And like, like I said, it's it's a little. There's a little bit of an element of some of the lighthearted episodes they've done, while 
decent or good have been kind of poorly placed and felt out of place when we're watching them because of the intensity of other other episodes. The episode before this one was almost so tense that we needed to release a little steam and that this episode does so perfectly. This is this is this fits into a uh, you know a binge watching uh, mode fine, which a lot of the uh, the lighter episodes have not. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Well, this was the first episode of any Star Trek that my wife ever agreed to sit through. Is that because <laughs> of uh, Mr. Darren? <laughs> no, it was because I sold it as oh, you remember Moonlighting? It's like uh, this episode is like David Maddie. Mm. And she was willing to give it a shot. She ne- never would refused all the time. She made it through the whole episode, and, and she enjoyed. She enjoyed it. She said, "I actually forgot. You know, they were aliens." I think for people who do not appreciate science fiction necessarily, the best way to go is uh, Star Trek Four. They seem to all, all accept that one. Mm. Well, my, my wife appreciates Deep Space Nine more than any of the others because it's grim and gritty and dark, and so is she. But the episode that she that she watched, believe it or not, but the episode that she watched that made her appreciate that the show was more than what she thought it was was Conscience of the King from the original show. Really? Yeah. Well, it's, it's the yeah. quality of the makeup that did it. Mm. It's the quality of the writing that did it. It's that, that giant bandaged thing on his face uh, no she was very this is very Shakespearean and yes it is well and I think she probably like keyed in a lot with the 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 villain at the end <clears throat> yeah mm. you better be careful what you drink Andy that's all I'm saying <laughs> the, the, the one thing one thing uh, I, I think I don't you know. have a cold when, when, <laughs> that's fair. when Odo play, is pretending to play the piano he almost looks a little bit too much like he knows what he's doing. Like, he almost pretends too well. I actually enjoyed that. I, I, he's, I he's getting into it. Was, I thought that was funny. Well, he it was. Sat, and, he's, and he's bopping his head around, and I thought that was really... That was quite charming. It, it was, but, but like, from a realistic point of view, I would think I would think Odo would have absolutely no knowledge of how a piano works I, at all. I, 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 no, no, no. Odo's an, an, an observer... And they had been in there before. I guarantee you, he was watching all those guys play those instruments, picking up how yeah, they do it. Yeah, you know it. what? I'm, I'm going to take that. I'm going to accept that. You're right. He is an observer. Yeah. That is that is one of the things. You know, he he's probably he's probably looking at the piano, not wondering so much how it works, but more trying to think if he can change into one. <laughs> but I, I I really liked that he didn't know how to play the piano. You know, a lot of programs yeah. would have written it in. Oh well, you know, how, how did you know that I could sit and. The fact that he didn't and it played by itself, I thought made it even better. Well, the, now the piano said mentor on it. Is that a? I don't think that's a brand. I think it was like just like a. Is that an in joke saying mentor teacher? I think so. I think it's yeah. it's meant to refer to mentor from Marvel Comics. Yeah, well, from the, from the Shazam TV show. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it was nice to finally uh, see a uh, not a resolution, but the that the romance grows at least changes and we still have time left in this series to explore it mm. you know instead of it coming like it like the last episode i love you i love you too yeah you, you hate to have everything i know just come to a head too quickly it's okay for things to get resolved in that last episode but if you know if too much happens it just doesn't feel real mm-hmm so having you know events like this occur on the road to the last episode is is I think a better 
planning strategy. But I just, I, you know, I, I, I've always been a fan of the Rat Pack in general, and uh, you know, Jim, Jimmy Darren just kind of plays it perfectly. But you know, there's always like, you know, the first person I think that comes to mind with the Rat Pack is Sinatra. So you automatically think that, you know, Jimmy Darren's going to do a Sinatra. And as, as cool as Sinatra is looked at as having been in his lifetime, uh, I think he was also a an arrogant, nasty yes. person. That's I was going to go there, too. From, from the realistic point of view, I think Dean Martin was always really the cooler you know, when when you look at it more closely, the Rat Pack, I think Dean Martin was the cooler one. I think, and part of the reason is, I don't think Dean Martin cared if you thought he was cool. I think Sinatra did, and mm-hmm. wanting to be seen as cool is the first step to not being cool. <laughs> so, and I think Dean Martin was actually, from everything I've seen, a nicer person. Just you know, you could get along with him easier. So I feel like Jimmy Darren is channeling Dean Martin much more than Sinatra there. Well, the mm-hmm. whole way he took Odo under his wing. I kept thinking to myself, I could never see Frank Sinatra doing that. Not if but there's I nothing could, in it for him. Right. But I could see Dean Martin doing that. He would take these bleeds. Shove them up your nose. <laughs> and shove them <laughs> up your nose. <laughs> we just watched that with the kids, too, this week. I haven't seen that in years and years, but I love that. And <laughs> if anybody throws- doesn't get the reference, look up Dean Martin and bleeds. Look up- rosary bleeds. Look up Chocolate Monk, too. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's that's my take on the Rat Pack. Is I, I wonder if, if... Well, he does make reference to them. So, you know, because he doesn't have anybody who he's hanging out with. But he does reference the, uh, the Rat Pack. He doesn't mention know. Frank, yeah. Frank and Dean in 58. They went to a casino. Yeah. Took over in Blackstone. <laughs> See, the thing... I want to get into with this one is they have essentially created here a holographic representation that knows his holographic representation and can do all kinds of things that a holographic representation yeah, is not meant to be able to do. Yeah. So, so, so have they created a sentient holographic representation? He's clearly sentient. Yeah. So at that point, then why are we not having ethical discussions about life like we do in every other Star Trek show? Because it's a lighthearted episode, baby. <laughs> oh, okay. Those will come later. Those but come but later. yeah, no, there there is there is that element to it though. You're you're 100 percent right. There's once once a being, whether holographic or physical, has sentience, don't they become an individual with rights at that point? And and yeah. you know, can you just turn him there's off when entire, you choose to? There's an entire episode of Voyager about this. Well, there's that even the episodes of the TNG. Yeah, there's the episode of Next Generation about it. There's the Voyager about how they were using old EMH programs as slave labor. And so was so they've established that the Doctor is sentient, then is that slavery? And But, but, with, but with with Paul Vick, it's just like, eh, it don't matter. He even turns himself off, which yeah. I was like, wow, he's actually, you know, in his own program, which is kind of it's like, uh, like just computer eerie. computer suicide. Yeah, yeah. I love when he mm. goes into Kira's med- meditation thing room so what are you doing in here oh, i'm in between sets <laughs> in between sets how did you know how yeah, did you get it oh i just uh, I, I had my, my matrix, matrix yeah. <laughs> what but, but it, he's accessing I, I would have, the comm I would have actually just from a from a uh you know the more serious point of view that andy is asking about i would have liked a throwaway line to the effect that somehow when they're not using him his program is kind of running anyway i think that's 
from what I remember, I think that'll be established later that they basically leave the program running for Vic instead of shutting them off like later next season, maybe. I mean, that's effectively what they did with Moriarty. Well, they made him give me his own little pocket universe to go explore. Yeah, and but but his pocket universe is all holographic, and they're just making him uh, feel like he's you know living a life which... instead of a instead of a butler for uh, for Fran Dresser. No, nobody got that reference. Okay. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, yeah, I, I was yeah, never was a viewer of, of the nanny. <laughs> yeah, it's Mr. Moriarty. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sorry. I do this all the time. I'm I don't know why I keep sorry. saying I'm sorry when I interrupt. I'm not, that's right. I'm not sorry. <laughs> So what else we got? Oh, well, I they, chuckled, Paul. Uh, oh, sorry, Dave. Oh, you after you, Doctor Bell. Oh, well, oh no, I no, think no, I, after I, you. I yield to your wisdom. Uh, so I got a chuckle from the episode you and I did with Paul uh, Scott a few years ago about a square. A cube. A cube. A square. You know what a square is, right? One side of a cube. I guess that answers my question. <laughs> that was a very funny line. <laughs> you know, a herald. Or what was the other thing he said? You know, a square. Oh, a Clyde. A Clyde. Clyde. That's what he said. A Clyde. I don't get it. <laughs> now, I was just going to say, you know, all the characters, not so much the main cast, but in the whole Star Trek universe, particularly on some other shows, Vic the hologram is more human than most of them. Mm. Human. <laughs> all right. And see, there's, there's another conversation I had about this as well. How is this any different to what O'Brien, not O'Brien, what Geordie did with Leah Brahms? When when Odo thinks that uh, yeah. Kira is a, is a hologram? Yeah, I was just yeah. thinking that. There's, there's a, a little bit of a kind of creepy feel about this. Yeah, well, see, I was thinking about this as well. Is the difference that Odo isn't really doing this? He's doing this to learn how to do it with the real person. I so think his not, motivations are He's not doing it with pure. the idea of... Yeah, because that's what Odo is. So yeah. it's slightly different in the sense that he's not actually falling for a hologram and then using that to start the real woman, which is what Jordy <laughs> does. He's using Odo's it to not... learn how to talk to a human. He's not doing it for self gratification. By well, I mean, at least not here. This is this is practice, baby. That's how you get to Carnegie Hall. Yeah. Where? What? And then it's but obviously it's it's Vic who cons Kira and Odo and they don't know that they're dealing with the real person when they're doing it. Oh well no Kira does, doesn't she? Yeah, Kira thinks well, he's Odo he thinks doesn't. she's fake. So there's a Cyrano de Bergerac level to it as well then? Yeah, Vic gets that worried look on his face. He's like, "Uh oh, he's ready to spill the beans." Whoops. Yeah. So you know, I mean, I didn't think what Odo was doing was creepy or stalkery. Obviously, a woman's voice on this would be helpful. Sadly, we don't have a woman on the panel. But I go get Angela right now. Make her watch it and talk to us. She didn't. She didn't watch this one with me. I watched it on my own at work at dinner time. Otherwise, I'd have asked her. Um, but certainly, in comparison to what Geordie did, I don't think Odo is guilty of that. No, not at all. Not in the least. No, like I said, I think his his. I think you go to motivation, and his motivation, I think, is pure. And I don't think he's, uh, you know, trying to be creepy. I think he's trying to mm-hmm. grow. Uh, you know, and I don't think he would. I, if if he believed it was a holograph, I don't think he would exploit it. I don't think he'd be going for no. you know the yeah. the holographic <laughs> porn. Uh, yeah, he wouldn't be doing what Barkley did. 
Yeah. You, you so, know what it would be? Or uh, Bordis on um, Orville. Yeah, yeah Orville. But, but, but wouldn't Odo look good with a mustache? Yes. <laughs> you know what this would be akin to? If we had this technology and you had to do a closing in front of a jury and you simulated the jury and practiced your closing with an interactive judge and uh, opposing counsel, hmm. practice. That's all it is. And then when, when the holographic jury totally slammed me in their verdict, I would, I would be so shell-shocked that the next day when I was on the real trial, I wouldn't be able to give my summation. <laughs> so what you're saying then is it's no different to the beginning of In the Pale Moonlight where Dax takes on the former, the rule of the Romulan commander, arguing mm. with Cisco all the points that he's making. Because essentially yes. that's what Cisco's doing. That's just a non-holographic version of the same yeah, thing. Yeah, it's just a non-holographic version of it. Oh, and it's and it's for your own personal life as opposed to for the greater good of the Federation. Right. Okay. All right. Yeah. See, see, I didn't think Odo was being creepy. I didn't. I don't think he that. is. I'm not right. trying to yeah, say I, that. Well, uh, I, I think he feels it, embarrassed. It seemed a to bit. me. Yeah, he does. And it seemed to me it was the same ethical quandary that they've covered in other shows. And I was just looking at it from the point of view as, well, how does this make it different? And I think the difference is Odo isn't deliberately using it to manipulate the real person. He's using it, A, for practice. And then the second time, he doesn't know that it's the real Kira, which makes the difference because it would affect his confidence. I think the the difference is, as you just kind of said, is motivation. And the other difference is how far he would take it. You know, would he be exploitive in it? And I don't believe he would. No, I don't think Odo would either. I think, and I think that's the difference in it. Yeah. All right. Okay. I just thought that was interesting in comparison to what Geordie and Mr. Broccoli did. <laughs> Mr. Broccoli. Did, did they ever say who wrote the program? I thought there was a throwaway line. Felix? Yeah. Do, do we know who this Felix is? Uh, or not? Felix Unger. I like oh, also that, that he had to get. Both that, went to the odd couple. <laughs> I, I like that that Vic had to uh, get the Kira from Bashir's spy program. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a, a, a throwback to that again, which we haven't seen in a little while. Yeah, because the idea does old episodes isn't there were quite wanted. Akira holograph to do the very things we've been talking about, and Kira's like, you can screw off. He he even says, yeah, it took me forever to get rid of that Russian accent. <laughs> that which was a nice callback. I like that. Created oh, Vic's program was created by Felix and generally modeled after popular mid twentieth century entertainers such as Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin. Which makes no sense because in the holodeck they could actually have it be Dean Martin. Well, yeah. No, but, but you what they're be able saying, to... I think what they're saying is that Vic's character that we see is based on a, an amalgam of those two. But in the Deep Space Nine world, if you go back in history to the 1960s or 50s, there was a Dean Martin, there was a Frank Sinatra, and there was a Vic. And right, they hung okay. out together. They were all part of the Rat Pack together. So you don't think Vic Fontaine is just a creation that has been made to believe all of this to give him the experience of being back there, but not using real people because of copyright law? I think I think Star Trek didn't use real people because of copyright law, but in Star, the Star Trek world, Vic was a real person at one time. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, there's, there's nothing that contradicts that. That's fine. On a future Vic episode, 
I've been looking up a few things about Felix and Vic and stuff, but we're not going to bother. I'm, I'm not going to cover them now for time constraints. You don't have to say anything, but I'd be quite surprised if Felix ever gets mentioned again. You are wrong. Oh, okay. I felt he was just a throwaway line as to why this program existed. He will be in another novel and a short story. Oh, but not in the show. So I'm not wrong then, am I? But, uh, From a well, certain point of view. Point of view, <laughs> yes. You'll find that the truths we cling to depend very much on our point of view. All right. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Help me, help me, Andy Wan Kenobi. I am sure to do that, Doctor Bill. Good job. So I just, I just wish I was. I, w- I wish we had holographic technology now, and I could go to that lounge because I'd be hanging out there in mm. a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. Yeah. Of all the places they've hung out on a holiday, this one at least seems like it'd be a lot of fun. The amount of time they go to concerts and bullshit like that, and it's all classical music, go somewhere fun. Yeah. Yeah, I, I believe me, I'd be in that holograph not uh, a lot quicker than the Klingon opera holograph. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, jeez. Oh, I like yes. opera. Well, I also like that he that he said something to the effect of, this is a classy joint, you got to dress better than this. Mm. And it's only in a later episode we see them all dressed up, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Right, okay. I was saying, I'm glad this music survived 400 years into the future, as opposed to that crap Riker was listening to. The hologram of the two women plunking away. <laughs> Wait a minute. Yeah, yeah I want to go see a concert of that. All right, so I think we're at the point of the episode where we rate it. Narrator goes first, Dave. That's you. Oh, okay. So I got distracted <laughs> by something shiny. I give it, <laughs> Squirrel. I give it five blackjack tables. Oh, you're giving this five? Yeah, Very I good. love this yeah, yeah. one. All right, fair enough. <laughs> I guess nobody else wants to go yet. I'm I'm surprising myself, but I'm also going with a five. I thought right. I would bring it. I thought I would bring it down to like a four or a four and a half. But I just I could. It, this episode has such rewatchability. Uh, Jimmy Darren is so charming in it. The storyline is very amusing and and flows along. I I find it hard to find any fault at all in this episode. So I'm giving it a five. Uh, I'm giving it a four because to be I cannot rate this the same as in the pale moonlight. I just can't. I think it's a very, very different animal. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say, uh, you know, but you know, I've talked about it with some different ratings that we've done. You only have five ratings you can go to, really. I mean, you can break them down into halves or whatever. But we, we're do, rating whatever is 160 episodes. So, you know, there's going to be several in each one. And you could then rank them within that category. But I think this falls in the five category. So that's why I'm going there. Hmm. Well, I'm going four. Yeah, that's fine. I'm not arguing with you. I'm just kind of explaining my logic. Well, I was surprised by how much I enjoyed it, how well it holds together, how much the actors may not be a fan of the Kira Odo romance, but how much they sell it. And, you know, Nana Visitor's performance of Fever at least gives it one. So four overall. Well, I, uh, when I... I hate to be that guy. Giving it a two. So when I breaking it only above this, Move Along Home. <laughs> when I first re rewatched this uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, I guess I was a little tired and I fell asleep and I didn't. I kind of remembered it, but didn't remember a lot, and I didn't really have any fond mem- memories of this one. So when I watched it again last night, um, I, surprisingly enough, I am going to give this a five. I could have been. Uh, 
I, I, I was thinking going a 4.5. and that's I would have put money that you were coming in at 4.5. Right. But I was like, no, no, because my initial thing is a 5. It would be five, um, five cubes. <laughs> five cubes. Five squares. No, no, no. No, a cube. A cube. Mm. Don't be a cube. Don't that's be like, a cube. That's like, uh, let me see, one, two, that's six times worse than a square. <laughs> so, um, maths jokes, well done. <laughs> I, I, I think you can actually count that and draw it in the air in front of me and go, one, two, three. With such intellectualism, yeah, you would think Blaine was on with us. <laughs> but I wonder okay. what he would say. I think you're being sarcastic. Hey, I'm not done yet. I know okay. I'm usually just throw my number out and run, but uh, well, now you made me forget what I was going to say. Oh, yeah, I got to do my song. Yeah, okay. Anyway, <laughs> what does Blaine say? What does he say? We're going to find out. What does Blaine say? We can't finish the show and go out. <laughs> That's not bad. I, I was leaning more towards going from my way to, to Blaine's way. say. Oh. <laughs> and what does Blaine say? Yeah, but but sometimes I don't like to be completely predictable, although it is in my no, name. I don't think I don't think you like to be predictable, but I still try to predict you anyway. <laughs> and too often I'm right. <laughs> anyway, Blaine says, "Hi guys, this episode is a mixed one." On one hand, I'm happy that the Odo-Kira relationship plot thread has finally come to fruition after many years. The first tease was, what, season two? Vic Fontaine makes for a different kind of Holosuite episode where nobody tries to take over the station and no lives are threatened, but still pushes things in a forward direction. I like how he helped Odo build confidence and reach the point where he was ready to talk to Kira. Then he made a hologram that looked like Kira. It was horribly wrong when Quark did it, and it was wrong when he did it here. I don't care what crew members do with entirely fictional creations in the Suite, but as soon as they put a real person's face on it without permission, they cross a line that shouldn't be crossed. Troy may have defended Barclay's choice to do the same in TNG, but there was no romantic love involved then. I don't believe Odo would have allowed that to go a step further, but if he hadn't, we wouldn't have had the ending with the date. I like the fact that Kira and Odo are finally together and really enjoyed their fight on the promenade at the end. But the ends do not justify the means. This one just rubs me in a very wrong way from the midpoint on Blaine. I can't say Blaine is wrong, because I think it really comes down to opinions and how you feel morally about this and all, and I understand his perspective, and I... I, I can definitely see why he would feel that way. Uh, and I think technically he's absolutely correct, but I still come back to the fact that I don't believe that Odo was trying in any way to exploit Kira. So while technically his, you know, it, it would be wrong for him to make use of that, I don't think there was any negative intention, and therefore I'm willing to give him a pass, at, you know, as we discussed throughout this episode. Well, technically... And I know this is splitting hairs, and I'll split come. a hair. <laughs> and Odo's not the one who created the hologram. However, and this is he did agree to interact with the hologram, so uh, Blaine's statement is still true. But 
he's also a man who's got an unrequainted love and he doesn't know what to do. I'm not saying it's right to create a completely fictional version of a person and try to figure out how to, you know, talk to them. But I mean, at least like we said earlier, he wasn't doing a pulling a Jordy and falling in love with a fake construct to begin with. He was trying to figure out how to get past the awkward stage. You know, it's, it's, it is a touchy subject. Oh, no question. It is there. There is the potential for wrong, and therefore, I think you kind of have to have a universal saying it's not okay, but it happened. And then we're going to look at the circumstances under which it happened. And I, again, I, I still kind of feel like Odo did not have any negative intention, and therefore, I, I'm, I'm ready to sign off on it that it's okay. Just don't do it again, Odo. <laughs> so. There we are. Uh, we do have one piece of email to read, and I think uh, I'll read it because it kind of addresses some of my thoughts a little bit. Uh, it's from our friend Tissum Tissum, mm-hmm. otherwise known as Ben, and it's with regard to the Call to Arms episode, a.k.a. Deep Space Mime. Words are in- inadequate in describing the amusement of that concept. But anyway, about a Call to Arms... I'm pretty sure... Oh, excuse me. And, but anyway, <laughs> about Call to Arms, I'm pretty sure there's not an A in the title. Uh, yes, Arms begins with A, Tissom. <laughs> anyway, hadn't really thought too deeply about why the Dominion would agree to the non-aggression pact with Bajor, but there are two possibilities. One is that they've shown interest in absorbing weaker societies into the Dominion by negotiation and coercion when possible, as we're seeing with Cardassia. They're not shy about sending in the Jem'Hadar when someone defies them, but that's usually not usually their first response. Second is, as Bill and the others astutely point out, Yay! Odo, here I absolutely agree with those who aren't Paul. <laughs> Begin, bringing Odo back into the link is stated to be a high priority for the founders. By now you'll, you'll have watched the early season six episodes that make this explicit in why both Wayun and... Selame Jen's character suggests that the war is important to the Dominion, sure, but less so than Odo's well-being. They're not quite a hive mind, but the distinction between individual and group isn't so stark to the founder way of thinking. They view Odo as an extension of themselves, not not a permanently individual drop. I have no trouble at all in believing that they would prioritize the safety and unity of any individual changeling above anything related to affairs of solids. One big backstage change for Season 5 is the loss of Robert Ewitt Wolf as a producer. To the viewer, this stuff is invisible, but I have to wonder whether setting up a season of TV that builds elements to a climax that's greater than the sum of its parts, e.g. Call to Arms, was one of Wolf's skills. DS9 has a lot of great moments to come, but Season 5 remains my favorite complete season. It's rare to get it quite so right. Best, Ben. So, Ben, uh... I, th- I I I still believe what the point I argued. I don't think that they. I don't see where their motivation was Odo on this because I think if their motivation was Odo, they wouldn't have. You know, if they, then then they just wouldn't fight the Federation at all because that would be Odo's wishes. Uh, I think the first reason you give is more likely the you know if we can get them absorb them into our society without actually having to uh, be aggressive that's better than being aggressive but we're willing to be aggressive if we have to uh, I, I just 
that's the way I see it. And certainly, you guys are all welcome to your opinions. And uh, you know, <laughs> you know, my my uh, arguing skills did not win any of you over. So I'll accept that you're not on my side with this point. But I still still think that Odo was not their deciding factor here. Anyone else? Uh, you know. His email brings up something I hadn't thought about. I haven't really thought about any type of rating per season. Maybe at the end of the one of our last episodes, you know, how would we rate a season? I think compared maybe, maybe to other the, seasons, maybe at the end of the sh- total end of the series, we should do some yes. sort of a recap. We'll do a what we left behind of our own, mm. and we'll talk about the individual seasons and episodes and characters, and you know, just give thoughts. Anyway. I, stuff. I guess that's it. And what are we doing next time? Next time on an all new episode of Listen to the Prophets, the discovery of a 30,000 year old Bajuran tablet buried under the holy city of Bahala announces the reckoning when the stroke of a sword and a fall of the head will release the power of the quickening. For in the end, there can be only one. The prophets called him. What is it you expect of me? It will be the end. Or the beginning. And Cisco answered. Time of reckoning is at hand. You've angered the prophets. But to save a people from Armageddon. This battle could destroy the station. The cost. Is your son out there? Don't you think I know that? Could be his own flesh and blood. They're trying to kill him. On the next Star Trek Deep Space Nine. We get to go back to Bahala. <laughs> See you then. Ta-ra. Bye-bye. It's a cube. Listen to the prophets at Deep Space Nine podcast is a two true freaks presentation. It is hosted by Andrew Leyland and Paul Spataro. The music and sound clips used in the show are copyright CBS and Paramount Entertainment. If you like to buy stuff from Amazon, and who doesn't, why not drop by the twotruefreaks.com website, where if you click the little link that we have there, it will take you straight through that site, and whilst it won't cost you any extra, we'll put a few shekels in our tip jar, which helps create content like this. We very much hope you enjoyed listening to The Prophets. Every episode is dedicated to the memory of our pal, Sean Engel. Let's see how many episodes in a row we could end with that. <laughs> Just I'm already working on it in my head. Sorry, I'm I'm already there. I think next time will be it's a tablet. You know, I'll just keep going to the end of the show now. No more complaz. Works for me. Or I'll do it's a complaz.